Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Today's guests are Mike Kaplan and Zach Sherwin. Together, the two of them host a new podcast miniseries called Words of the Years on the new podcast app Howl. You may have also seen Mike on America's Got Talent or a few years ago on Last Comic Standing. Zach is also a writer for the very popular YouTube channel Epic Rap Battles of History. If you want to hear some more words from them in your ears, let's get to it. Welcome to Last Things First. Thank uh, you. Hey, great to be here. Hey, it was great having you here, Last Things First. Goodbye. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> do you do that every time or just for fun this time? Just for people who like words. And I'm here with Mike Kaplan and Zach Sherwin, who together are doing a, a mini-series podcast for the oh. new podcast app, Howl, called Words of the Years. That's yeah, right. That's right. Thanks for getting that title right. It's complicated. Yes. So what are, what are, the, what are the words that are currently fascinating you? Oh, I I know, I know. Even even in your daily tweet feed, you're you're playing around with words. Sure. I mean, mm-hmm. what's what's currently noodling around your brain? I like noodling right now. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing that happened. Uh, I was at uh, an event that a guy was playing a recorder at. You know, sort of a a kind of a flute, but like made of wood that you normally play, see people playing in grade school. Exactly. But this was an adult. And uh, I talked to him as I was like, have you, you know, as an adult, like, have you taken lessons? Like, do you put a lot, you know, how much do you do this? And he said, I just tend to noodle around on it. And I was like, oh, it's really interesting that noodles are normally, like, you know, floppy, but the very opposite of the, the structure of that flute. Oh. So that's like the oh. most recent experience I had with the word noodling. What about an uncooked noodle? Uh, yeah, but that's like when I th- when you think of ah, just noodling around, do you think about uncooked noodles? Yeah, on a recorder. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Uh, you got me. It could have been that. I actually think about a stringed instrument and how it's kind of just floppily being played, not too seriously or strummingly. So you think that noodling around happens more on a guitar than a flute? Yeah. But he was doing some flute noodling. They call it mm. flutling around, I believe. I don't is the know technical if that symphony. Don't think. Um, <laughs> I. You what? know when the symphony's riffing? Yeah. Hey guys, let's just jam. Um, that'd be fun. Yeah, Zach, what, what, what words are tickling your fancy? I'm now thinking about how, I'm thinking about round noodles, you know, those ones that are shaped like wagon wheels. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love those. Noodling around. What are they called? Bum, bombicelli? I call them wagon wheels. Okay. I think they have a name that it might be similar to bombicelli, but uh, I think bomb is in it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I've been thinking about the word uh, colloquy, I think is how you pronounce it. Ooh. C-O-L-L-O-Q-U-Y. Mm, not a soliloquy, but a colloquy. Right. It's like a... What does that mean? It's like, I think it means conversation. Hmm. Why don't you just say that? It's the Bumbacelli to <laughs> Conversations Wagon Wheels. That actually reminds me of one of my favorite words of all time, which is highfalutin. Because oh. highfalutin is the most highfalutin word you could come up with oh. for big word. I love it. Falute. It's a big Noodling around. It's yeah. a big word that means big word. Noodling around on the highfalutin. Highfalutin. Well, then you might... L- Here's... I don't want to, you know... 
full disclosure, yes. I went on a podcast uh, last week called Verbomania, mm. uh, where the the assignment, no, normally a podcast doesn't always come with an assignment. No, I did not give you one. I received an assignment to come with a word, any word that I you know liked or knew that I thought would be interesting to discuss. Mm-hmm. And the word that I brought there was a version of the word sesquipedalian uh, or hippopotamonstra sesquipedalian, oh. which means other pertaining to very large words. So oh, that's, I thought you might enjoy that based on what you just hippo, said. That's even more highfalutin than highfalutin is. Monstra? Hippopotamonstra sesquipedalian. Is that real or is it some whimsical? I mean, words are but a construct, Zach. But I mean, is that, you know what I'm asking. I kind of do, but I think it's real. I oh. read it in a Richard Letterer book. I'll share with Sean, switching gears now. Yes. The thing that I told you on the drive over here about James Bond. But I already heard this. Uh, do you know? <laughs> does it involve words and the playing thereof? <laughs> I think so. Oh, yeah, okay. it definitely. Does. This is a very untopical podcast, by the way. It'll be good forever. <laughs> it's evergreen. I think oh yeah, it's yeah, pronounced yeah. atypical. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a Bond movie in the '90s, a Brosnan one called "Tomorrow Never Dies." Yes, that was apparently originally titled "Tomorrow Never Lies," which had something to do with something in the movie. The villain was a newspaper man. Yes, the newspaper control was of all media. Tomorrow. Right. The tagline of that paper, tomorrow never lies. But they sent a fax to the studio with the title, and there was a smudge on it, and they were like, oh, tomorrow never dies, good title. And they were like, oh, no. And they were like, oh, yes, that is now the title. And that's why it's called that. It has nothing to do with anything in the movie. The real-life James Bonds couldn't overcome the evil. We have to get to the studio before the fax arrives. (laughs) (laughs) We're people. It's data. We lose. (laughs) Now who's too street for Bond? I don't know. Who was before? Is that an... I also don't know. I don't know, Bond. Uh, uh, I want to be a Bond in the streets and a Bond in the sheets. Oh. oh. No. James Bond. Now Zach is shaking his head yes. <laughs> what's, the, what's the nerdiest wordplay you've ever engaged in? <laughs> Nerdplay. Hmm. I was going to say, have... I'll tell you mine if you, if you need. Yeah, you go first. I have one I'll... also. Yeah, okay. go for it, yeah, Let's all share our uh, nerdiest wordplays. In the 1990s, I auditioned for Ringling Brothers... Uh, clown college. They used to have a clown college. Hmm. You auditioned. I, I adi- they had open auditions, and my I was my newspaper editor at the time sent me as an assignment. He thought it'd be. He's like, your feet are very big, so fun yeah. slash funny mm-hmm. to mm. see me do this. Fun slash knee. Yes, <laughs> I I did not I did not uh, get a the, fun slash knee slapper. <laughs> I did not get the call from Ringling Brothers, but uh, this other local clown company in Seattle approached me after the auditions and said, if you ever want to pursue this, we'd love to have you locally. Locally. Local Seattle Clown Company. So I did take them up on their offer. And, and that company is now Starbucks. <laughs> uh, you, so you became a local Seattle so clown? So I, I became a clown, and one of the things, I had to come up with a clown name, and the, the, my clown name was Flibber T. Gibbet. Oh. Love it. Yes. That's great. And what do you call That's Because great. I, I love the word Flibber to Gibbet, and then, of course, it, that word means flighty. Yeah. It's great. Foolish. So it, it sounds actually... like a name within a within an initial. Yes. Yeah, it's good. Really good choice. It's and would they call you Flibber, or or Flibber T. Gibbet Esquire, Mis- Mr. Gibbet? Oh yeah. I threw in an Esquire. Like Just you're a lawyer. Yes. Yeah. That's right. I used to be involved with this political theater group called Billionaires for Bush, and okay. you would dress up as a billionaire and be like, Bush is great because he helps people like us. Is this uh is this your story about your? No, <laughs> but you had to choose a billionaire name. Oh, okay. And it was really fun. My friends and I had fun choosing like ironic anti names. Mine was Bill Yunair. Mm-hmm. That I would was, be a good example. I of wasn't. One, Mike. In, I wasn't in the group. <laughs> Not Chameleonaire. Uh, 
did I take that one? That one was taken. Did I take one of the real ones? Millionaire was taken. Sorry if I no. took one of the real ones. My favorite was my friend who wasn't that into it, but did it with the rest of us, and he was like, his name was Rich Guy. <laughs> he was disgusted with the whole enterprise. And what was yours? I think mine was ostentatious. And what did you okay. want it to be? Didn't wasn't there another one that they yeah, thought yeah, was yeah. too cute? Uh, yeah, I can't remember what that. Do you remember what <laughs> something that one was? cuter than no. ostentatious? I think if you listen to our podcast, Words of the Years, it's mm-hmm. in there somewhere. Yeah, oh, I think okay. we discussed it. Nice plug. Very nice. My nerdiest wordplay is for Valentine's Day, my senior year of high school. I anagrammed my girlfriend's name with Scrabble tiles and took pictures of them, and then printed out the pictures like you did in those days and framed them. And gave her a framed picture of Scrabble tile anagrams of her name. And, and she... also, she wasn't real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was like, you can put it up in your room. <laughs> <laughs> and she Thanks. was like, <laughs> and you're still together. <laughs> wow. I have honestly too many to choose from. I think all of mine, like, here's, here's, can I give two brief ones? Yes. One is, uh, I pref- I wrote a joke that only works at certain. Like I think I wrote it and at a comic book convention, mm-hmm. and then but sometimes when I perform at Meltdown in L.A. anywhere I'm around, you know, explicitly, objectively, you know, sort of se- seen as nerdy things, I would open by saying I'm honored to be here. I mean I'm a nerd to be here. <laughs> and the other one That's is uh, if you scramble all the letters in Spider Man, you get P.S. I'm a nerd. Oh, very Ooh. nice. Nice. because it's true. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely true. Hmm. It's true because it's true. Now, see, Mike, one of, one of the things that I love about you and your thank you, your life story, mm-hmm. your origin story, oh. is, is that when I met you, you were, you were studying linguistics. That's true. You were pursuing your master's degree, which you caught. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> what was the thing we already said about? Uh, sandpaper, sandpaper suit. suit. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our okay. friend Matt Ruby has a blog called Sandpaper Suit. <laughs> The Pursuit of Sanpei. Did that happen before the podcast? I think it did. Time isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> it's now you're all caught up, everybody. But at, but at what point? At what point? While you were studying, did you think about comedy as a as a career instead of linguistics? Uh, I, linguistics was never the goal career wise. It was always a thing that I enjoyed doing, mm-hmm. enjoyed learning about, and actually was sort of a stopgap measure in between being in. Uh, undergraduate college life and being in the quote unquote real world where I had to get a real job. And my goal at the time, before I started doing comedy, before I went to grad school, my goal was to become a, a singer songwriter. I had okay. songs. As you may know, I started in comedy with quote unquote funny songs. Uh, my intent was to play funny songs. And eventually, in between the songs, I learned that talking and making people laugh was also enjoyable and possible. And I Loved that and then kept uh, expanded that portion of the act and minimized the having to carry a guitar portion of the act. But uh, so I legitimately at the in my senior year of college, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do for work. Like I applied to teach for America. I applied to a couple grad schools, but I didn't want to go to grad school initially. But I was like, but then I was like, I don't want to get a job either. I want to be a singer songwriter, but I'm not one yet. So I guess I'll go to grad school for a thing that I enjoy which was linguistics, and in the meantime, go out and perform as much as I can and give myself as much time as I need to, quote-unquote, be discovered. And you were also an RA, right? I, I was. That allowed me to be at Boston University pretty much for, 
like I had to pay to be a student, but I didn't pay for rent, so it was a, a pretty cheap deal. Did that, did that also help you not have to have any sort of quote unquote day jobs? No, I did. I did have. Uh, it helped, but I, I didn't have like a nine to five that I went to. You know, fifty weeks a year. Mm -hmm. But I did uh, work as a linguistics annotator. I worked at a as a barista. I worked at a barista. Uh, they always had me with one other at uh, the Barnes and Noble Cafe in Kenmore Square. I worked as a summer camp counselor over the summers. Yeah. So even though you were an RA, you still had to have an array of jobs. Yeah, that's. Would you, is that a <laughs> yeah? That's a fine accurate way. To, yeah. Characterization. Oh, and the word array has the letters R A right in it twice. Once forward, once backwards. Why? <laughs> <laughs> at what At what point did you did you feel comfortable enough to ditch those? Jobs? Jobs. Uh, in around 2007, I think I performed at my first NACA conference, which is the National Association of Campus Activities, uh, after which I got, I think I did a couple of them, like in that several year period, mm -hmm. where I would I would book uh, an, some large enough number of colleges at in a year period where I was like, or a yearied, you don't have to say, um, a period, that's period with a Y in it also. Is everything okay? Um, is what people might be thinking about me. The answer is yes, it's fine. Um, so that was, yeah, 2007 was a year that I realized like, oh, if all my years were this lucrative, which wasn't like the maximum level of, you know, profitability, but right. uh, it was enough that I could not have the other job and survive with only comedy money. And that's when I decided to stop doing those other things. And in 2007, what were you up to, Zach? Wow. This is a, are you, this is kind of what our podcast is. <laughs> this is like a preview of Words of the Years, oh, our wow. podcast. Um, we talk about the Words of the Years and also our lives in, in each in, of those years. Oh, okay. In each of those years, yeah. So, so give us a tease of 2007. Yeah, here's year, a tease. year of the phone call? <laughs> I was dating a woman in Western Massachusetts, and I went out there and lived for a year. And then our relationships, and so in 2007, our relationships started ending. Mm -hmm. And also, I had been in a sketch comedy group that I started in college that ran after, you know, for like several years afterwards. Okay. And that was right around the time that the sketch comedy group was breaking up. So I had these huge life transitions, relationship ending, first job ending. And when the group broke up, I moved from Northampton in Western Massachusetts, where I'd been living, back to Boston and started performing solo, uh, like for real, for the first time. I'm actually a year off. In 2007, I moved to Northampton and lived there for a year. Okay. Then a year later, I would start coming back to Boston. But importantly, in 2007, Mike saw me perform at a college show with the sketch group and was like, you should come do one of your raps at the open mic that I run in Somerville. And that was the first uh, first inkling, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, Yes. of information that uh, I could perform the stuff I was doing other places than just on stage with my sketch group. So you were in a sketch group and the sketches involved you rapping or your rap was like a one-off? I would, of the yeah, one time we had a show where we didn't have enough sketches for the amount of time we were expected to fill for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I wrote a rap that I could probably do that would be fine. And, you know, when they make the straight out of Compton style biopic of the, the other guys in the group <laughs> will be like, I don't think so, man. That doesn't sound good at all. That'll never work. And then I went and did the rap, and it went really well. And so then from then on, I could – it was weird. I used to say this. I, You know, I was performing my stuff in front of paying college audiences. Like, those were my first performances mm -hmm. with all that stuff. All my brand-new material, I would work it out there. So it was great. 
when you were a kid, did you imagine that you would have a career in rap? Yes. Funny or otherwise? I really did. I mean, I started writing raps when I was 10. As soon as I started listening to it, I was like, yeah, yeah, I got this. Uh, and then it took me a long time of being like, I was wrong before I could be like, oh, I was right. I just didn't know yet. That was actually the way that I started doing comedy, but I was 24. <laughs> I was like, I got it. I'm good at it. And it took years of eventually when people, you know, audiences tell you by silence that you're not doing it right. Mm -hmm. And other people tell you by not booking you or not being friendly to you or, you know, being friendly, but not being like, we're all friends. You know, we, we all get it. And eventually when you're in, you're like, oh, I wasn't in before. I was. De but delusion carried me through mm -hmm. and kept me doing it to get to a place where I could do it. And when you started out when you were 10, you weren't trying to be funny. No. But you were funny. I yes. mean, now, now, if you look back at your rap, what, do you remember like a line from then? Yeah, I mean, certainly. Um, you know, uh, the first line I ever wrote, the first rap I ever wrote had a line about the ozone layer. It went, uh, I really don't care. I'll put him in a chair. Those UV rays have a frightful glare. <laughs> I was getting... I was getting messagey in my first verse. Wow. What was it about the ozone? Uh, the UV rays. Oh, you mean why did that? <laughs> For, yeah, why was that the first thing you're like, this is. I probably had heard about it at school and understood that sometimes rappers rapped about current events. That, that's nice that it wasn't just, you know, about money and women. Yeah, that would come soon enough. <laughs> it wasn't that you had seen Al Gore and you're like, I have to, I have to do my part. A rap. <laughs> Correct. Uh, I'm so mad that Bush beat Gore. I'm going to write a rap. The really weird part to me is put him in a chair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Electric chair? But no, it's a UV. I think it's a it, UV chair. I think it was unrelated to the UV rays. It you was just, just like, you needed opponents, a take a seat. I'm <laughs> the best. That's good. That's a good analysis. Yeah. I mean, that is what it was. As the person who wrote it, I can still get into that. <laughs> good <headspace>. analysis. <laughs> so you were both, you were both influenced. <laughs> good interpretation. <laughs> And now do Gistron. <laughs> yes, Sean. You, Let's were, let Sean you go. were both influenced musically at the very start. Yes. Who who was it for you that you rapped and you said, oh, I can do that? Naughty by Nature and Heavy D were okay. my first two tapes. Hanukkah, 1990. And what about you musically when you thought, oh, singer-song? I, I, I want to be a singer-songwriter. I mean, I guess uh, I... I had been playing music for my whole life. My mm -hmm. parents were music teachers, and my uh, mother had sort of encouraged slash forced me to play the violin since I was four. I feel like she entrapped me. She was like, do you want to do this? And I was like, that tone sounds nice. And I was like, yes. And then later I was like, oh, I don't like it. And she's like, too bad. You already agreed. I'm like, this would not hold up in court. <laughs> uh, but uh, So I didn't like playing the violin, but I was made to. And then uh, in high school, I picked up the guitar. Just a friend had a guitar, and I started noodling around. On it, as you do. Yes. Uh, not not like highfalutin noodling, but uh, I just loved playing the guitar. It was my friend Ari's guitar. I call him Guitari now, and because uh, he was like the first video game system that I ever had, and mm. uh, it was actually a Commodore sixty four. It was a computer. Keyboard. Yes. Uh, everything's fine. <laughs> and <laughs> so you're noodling on the guitar. Uh, yeah, and I mean. Some people ask, like, who are you, you know, your influences? And I guess I, the people that I listened to the most uh, in my teenage years, like, while this was happening, mm -hmm. was probably They Might Be Giants and Ani DeFranco. So I think that if you know that and you listen to my songs, you might be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. But also, I wasn't like, I'm going to do a They Might Be Giants-y thing. And I wasn't like, they're doing a cool thing. I'm going to do that thing. 
it was just like I liked playing the guitar and it just cut writing songs just came naturally like I was just fooling around having fun and some kids at my summer camp were like that's a funny thing that you're saying there I'm like oh I'm just making stuff up they're like you should say it for real uh, at our talent show I was like me and then I did when was that song funny uh it was I don't think it is objectively funny the first song that I the first big hit that I had at my summer camp which was called the kangaroo song give us a snatch oh sure uh <laughs> I think I think you meant pouch <laughs> fun nice uh so biff bam pouch that's batman beating up a kangaroo that's not from the song okay but who are good at boxing uh oh yeah um so the chorus was because of you there are no kangaroos you're the root of all bad news you're a bad person and then later verses would say, you killed off all the Jews, you drive us all to booze, you make good people lose. It was just about, uh, the, the basis of it was a guy had blamed me for a thing that I wasn't responsible for. Mm. And so the song was sort of a, a, mess, a response to that. You yeah, were putting him in a chair. Yeah, I was 100% <laughs> putting him in a chair. You were on the same page musically from the start. <laughs> on the same pouch. And uh, Did you emphasize, when you said you're the root, did you emphasize the roo part of it as a little kangaroo? Didn't bonus. think about it till now. Okay. Good, an, good analysis, not only of your own work, but of mine. Thank you. If you get back in the studio to re-record it, <laughs> the digital remaster of the kangaroo song. Back into the Strudio. Mm. Uh, no. Mm. Stru, Stru Studio? Yeah. Marsudio? We oh, did. Oh. We actually, uh, my friend Sam, uh, who actually works with me and Zach on uh, another project of ours, which is creating podcast theme songs. Ooh. We've done probably like half a dozen by now. If you don't have one. We'll make it for we you. We want to release I, an album of them that's like four minutes long with 20 songs on it of yeah. podcast themes. Absolutely. I, I do have one, but I, I, I would shudder to... Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll, to, we'll, to we'll re- make a new one. <laughs> to, to replace Shockwave and Camille Harris with, with oh, you two. Oh, those guys Ooh. are good. Yeah, they're, they're good. Yeah. I like it a lot. We'll yeah, make one, good. too. Yeah. Uh, okay. But yeah, so Sam it, was my friend at summer camp, mm-hmm. and he and I recorded an album together that included the kangaroo song. I, I made one on my own of the mm-hmm. kangaroo song, but then we actually did a um, an updated remastered version. So, uh, but we need so I, I don't have to do that again. But, okay. Uh, Good. Just wanted to let there's the story that I just told doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> just want to let everyone know that I know. <laughs> I realized it right at the end that <laughs> the point isn't. You're not. Re- isn't one of the golden rules of comedy you're not supposed to let the audience know whether you're you're doing well or but not? But the platinum rule. I mean, that that story brings up uh, in my mind the story of Mark Marin at Chevy Chase's roast. Are you familiar? Like they were doing a Comedy Central roast of Chevy yes. Chase, which Mark was at because they just you know had a bunch of people who didn't really know Chevy Chase because they I believe couldn't get people who wanted there to be there who right. knew Chevy Chase. And Mark didn't do a great job for like the first several minutes of his set. He's like, you know, roasts is not, they're not my thing. And like, and so at a certain point he just did what he does and like, you know, was stopped doing the jokes that he'd written and like responded actually in the moment to like, I'm not doing well. And then people were like, yes, he knows he's good. (laughs) He knows what he's talking about. And that like, you know, harbored enough, harbored enough that, you know, sort of, Engendered, yeah, it, 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 yeah, definitely. Some goodwill was established, <laughs> and he was able to get some laughs with some of the material that he had, and they were able to like you know cobble together a good-looking set for TV. But then all the like old-time roast guys, like the the big you know sort of classic roasty comedians, were right. like, you never you never let them see it. You never let them know 
that you know that it's not going well. Right. And he's like, but that was the very thing that made it go well. Yeah. So well, if it is the golden rule, it deserves to be tarnished. Well, it all depends on how you handle it, I think. Yeah. I mean, in that situation, I might... I don't care, and not that I don't care what other people think. I mm-hmm. want people to have a good time listening to this, listening to my comedy, doing whatever you're doing. But I, I realized that I disappointed myself in that story. I'm like, oh, I know there's a story to be told here, right. but uh, it didn't need to be. Okay. That story, I mean, and then once you resume telling the roast jokes that you originally had planned, now the audience has this whole other like bank of information that you're like, yeah, I know that this isn't going great, so I can do a joke, it doesn't go great, and then you can, you know, look to the crowd and be like, what's... <laughs> and so it's kind of like, you know, we've we've been talking about this concept that I think is like originally a Zen Buddhist thing of... Mm-hmm. Cho- uh, it's the, the thing is, before enlightenment, chop wood and carry water, you know, you're just a manual laborer or whatever, and then after enlightenment, chop wood and carry water you do the same thing just now you like get it and you can bring your wisdom to any enterprise that you're doing including the one that you were doing before so that sounds like a chop wood carry water kind of thing from Aaron I think so and also I think uh yeah because by the time you get enlightened you're like oh man I'm gonna chop wood so good (laughs) carry water the best (laughs) uh but I thought you were gonna bring up the other thing that we talk about sometimes which is uh rumpelstiltskinning which is another Mm. thing that I feel like was going on there like there was a problem and then he named the problem and now that makes the problem's powers useless, and oh, it, right. it goes away, and you now you now have the power that the problem had before. Right, well, that's all in, in the tone and the attitude you take toward it. Mm-hmm. You, you can own, take ownership of a situation. Instead Tonership. Of, instead of, instead of uh, that's an important thing What I see some comedians do is, is they surrender, oh, and sure. they go, okay, you guys don't like me. This is not going well at all. And then the audience decides, well, yeah, you're right, and we're, right. Not, we're not on board this train. Or so when, when are you going to leave? Right. Or uh, I've seen that too. Or worse, the comedian informs the crowd that it isn't going well, who until that point was either on the fence or disagrees with that right. perspective. But then you're like, well, all right. I, if you say so, leader. Right. I have I have a fun I like I have some fun jokes that are often like savers for, you know, when if my cra- if my if if my audience if my sh- if my show is going perfectly, mm-hmm. then these jokes might not work. Like at all, the people would be because they have in them a thing that's like, oh, a joke didn't land or something didn't happen exactly as I as I wanted to. And so every once in a while, like I I have a pretty good sense of when of how things are going. Uh, But every once in a while, I'm like, here, this is the perfect time for that joke. And I'm like basically saying like, huh, me. Right. And then the audience is like, what? What about you? Everything? Everything's fine with you, except for now. Now there's a crack in the armor. Uh, so, so let's just say recent examples. Mm-hmm. This summer you were on live television. I don't know what you're talking about. You were on. Yes, a, that's true. You were on, <laughs> why? <laughs> you were on. You were on America's Got Talent. I was on the NBC Television that's Network true. on live TV, which you had or had not ever been on live TV before. Uh, I've other than like you know a morning show mm. that I think Zach and I have been on a couple. Oh, yeah, you know, sort of, you know, you're you're in some town, and they're like, "Where well, you, you're doing a show at night." So it's like, "Hey, you're doing a show at uh, t- ten at night. Why don't you come up at uh, like four in the morning, and we'll talk to the people who are up then who might come to the show at ten at night." <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes it's like seven in the morning, but yeah, I've I've done like low, much lower stakes, right? Because that's in a st- studio. It is with no audience. Oh yeah, generally, I, I don't think I'd ever performed comedy uh, for a live audience through the TV. Last Comic Standing, we would tape the show at noon and it would air like five hours later. Right. So 
so what how would you describe the experience that experience of being on live tv well i mean i was only on it for like two minutes right. so i don't given like in comparison to the rest of my life uh it's hardly anything but uh you know people a lot a lot of people did watch it so right. it is something i mean it was i didn't i honestly didn't really think about the fact that it was live because i mean when you do like a late night set you know you you're performing recorded in advance right. for the people in the room and then it sh it goes out to people later but like it's not like you get to be like all right depending on how it went please you know like you don't get to sort of help them edit your set in general like late night sets aren't edited that much so for Correct. all intents and purposes most of the late night shows that you do are similar to uh the experience of, that i had performing live uh on america's got talent how would you compare it to to the experiences you've had with the morning uh the morning show i enjoy doing the morning shows more probably i mean you know radio city's nice but uh <laughs> but Greenville, South Carolina. <laughs> What's that funny one we've done? Is that what it is? I think it is. In Greenville? Oh, yeah. There's this, like, this man and woman who seem to present as, like, just proper people, but, like, the guy just, like, talked extensively about weed at... Yeah, he was kind of, like, made some sex jokes one time and... During the commercial break? Jokes. No! On, no. <laughs> on air. Just He's sort of, like, a dumb, fun guy who yeah. everyone likes, it seems like, in town, a beloved local character. That's morning, that's morning television. Very funny. Yeah. He's, like, in a suit and seems like a nice dad, and he was like, well, I bet you get some people handing you some fun stuff after the shows. <laughs> that kind of thing. And you're like, whoa, so are we talking about this? Uh, yeah. Are you offering us some fun stuff <laughs> after this Can, show? Should we talk about this at the break? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, those are those are completely sort of like low stakes situations where uh, maybe you're trying to get people to enjoy it and come to the show, but also you don't know if anybody's watching, who's watching, what's mm -hmm. happening. Whereas if I were to think about, you know, the America's Got Talent situation, like definitely millions of people are watching we're watching right. uh and you know but still like i have no concept of what millions of people are like none of us really have that capacity even i think the human brain can really only you know know a limited number of people and can only conceive of like some low numbers like after a certain point if you're like picture a million of something now picture five million how about 10 million how about a billion you're like ah uh, it's all basically a lot so when you prepare, <laughs> when you prepare to to go on stage, whether it's for five thousand people in the room mm -hmm. or five people in the studio or five million people on TV, do you change your pre-show routine at all, or do you do the same thing hmm. before uh, they call your name or go you're on camera? I think for me, most of the preparation that like that goes into you know preparing for a, like a live TV spot mm -hmm. or just a TV you know, a late night set in general, that kind of thing. Most of the preparation happens before the final five minutes or the final hour. Uh, it happens, you know, weeks, months, at least, you know, days in advance. I might have been, you know, at a set at a club the night before running the set. Uh, but probably before that, it would have been like months where I was like, OK, got the set in order. Like right now, I have a set ready to go for the next late night show that I do. And I think it's been approved by, uh, you know, uh, the Conan Booker. And uh, but while I was on America's Got Talent, they, you know, have so you sign a contract that you can't do other TV like while that show is running. So it's just I, I ran that set. I recorded it. It's ready to go. And, you know, I'll have to get it. I'll remember it again and be like, oh, what jokes go where? Get it in shape. But yeah, then once I get to the to the studio. Yeah, the five, the five, ten minutes before you I, go on stage. What's, I, what's that? What's that preferably like for you guys? Hmm. 
I usually have like, you know, a friend or two, maybe a girlfriend or two. And, uh, you know, like a, people that I care about who are there with me, if that's mm-hmm. if that's what it is. Like if I'm in L.A., like Zach has come to me, come come to me with a few things uh, and has come with me to a few things. Mm-hmm. Um, like my cousin, uh, who who's about my age, has come with me a couple times. Uh, gr- various girlfriends have come over the years. And so it's nice to just, you know, sit with a person and sort of watching the show, like if it's Conan or whatever, mm-hmm. watching the monologue and the first guest or two. And then they, you know, they sort of put you into makeup and get, and then they're like, now you stand here. And then when you hear your name and I open this curtain, then you walk forward. So it's kind of just like, you know, you, I give myself up to whatever is happening, like kind of be, ideally try to be in the moment as much as possible and then hope that the previous preparations that have been done, uh, come through uh the first time i did tv was on kamau bell's totally biased and uh it was a two-man piece the like song that i did there was a beatboxer with it and so our final pre-show moments maybe like 20 minutes before we went on and did it we ran through it in the dressing room and like screwed it up pretty bad (laughs) and it was sort of like needed to go right to go right right and uh i was like okay (laughs) That happened. Wish I knew that it was automatically great on muscle memory, but it actually worked out fine in right, the event. Because that's the one where you, you clench your jaw. Yeah, we're doing grit, grit ventriloquisting, grit and grin, grit and grin. Yeah. right? Exactly. So, um, yeah, I don't. It would be nice. I guess it would be nice to have a pre-show ritual. Sometimes I'll try and think. You know, I'll just kind of th- kind of think to myself. All right, you know these. You know, you're here to do a thing and like provide mirth and mm-hmm. some amount of joy for these people. So you know, keep that in mind. Mer- uh, mirth. Yeah. Then I think mirth. That's a funny sounding word. Frankincense and mirth. But so you that... don't but you don't light any scents or candles mm. or listen... unless I've uh, been in Greenville and had a little powwow <laughs> with that morning house. <laughs> or listen to any uh specific tunes in your cans. Ooh. A pouch wouch. Nice. <laughs> cans. Um no, I don't think I have anything that specific. I like to not. I like to anti-ritual. Just be different as thing seamless, every time. <laughs> like as seamless a transition from just being in life as possible to like, oh, all right, I gotta go. Okay. I, I know when I showcase at um, the uh, college entertainment conferences, the NACAs, right. you they have you backstage for a long time before you go on, and you have to be there. They're pretty rigid about it. You can't check in and then leave and come back two minutes before. People keep checking in on you. And I dislike that time because you're backstage. It's dark. You're in a exhibit, like an exhibit hall of a convention center. It basically is like a bare cement floor, and you're just like kind of waiting to go on. You can text, but it's like it's not a pleasant time. Agreed. Put me up, man. Yeah. If you're on a if you're on a long showcase, I mean, I love it there. If Nack is listening, <laughs> <laughs> if you're on a long showcase uh, of acts, knowing that that you have very specific kind of acts is there somebody on the bill that would be the last person you want to see you'd want to have to follow on stage oh a specific person or you mean a type of act specific person type of act you can you can answer comedy rap act i was on a show not long ago with i said comedy rap act did you hear me yeah yeah as as making as making a joke because that's the kind of act that you do i know i'm about to tell a story that (laughs) speaks to that i i i didn't i didn't i just want to make sure you heard me I did. Great. You have a story? (laughs) I did a show not long ago. It's a great show in LA. It's a variety show. They have contortionists and jugglers. Last time I did it, two twin sisters who perform with Cirque du Soleil did a aerial like trapeze. Mm -hmm. I'm glad there were two of them. 
Yeah. Wait. What did I say that <laughs> makes that two, fun? You said two twin sisters. Oh yeah, they were both there. <laughs> It'd be weird if like. And coming up next, one twin sister. <laughs> These twin sisters performed and shopped at a convenience store in Arizona. Mm. Only I'd, one of them was there. Okay, so, so ra- rather a twin sister than a sin twister. Add a thing that makes that make sense. Um, this guy went up and he was wearing a wig and sunglasses and a cape, and he sang a song to a backing track about um, how we're entering the next extinction, the Anthropocene extinction from people. Making the world end, oh. and he's singing this crazy song. It was crazy. I'm not. I don't like. Even, even, it was just. It, it was a wild. Even act. just hearing you say the word Anthropocene makes me makes me uh, feel feel for you. So, so that you might I have mean, to go up after this. So in the middle of it, the host of it comes up to me and he's like, "You're up next, but you do the same thing as he does." And I was like, "I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's exactly." Mm-hmm. Identical, but uh, he did put someone between us. You know, uh, the th- this is relevant to what you were asking before. Also, mm-hmm. I think on when I was live on America's Got Talent, the act right before me was a guy who was a flyboarder. Yes, uh, which is a thing that I hadn't heard of until I met this guy because it's a very new sport, I guess, involving like kind of a jetpacky situation, and uh, you he does like cool tricks on water. And they showed a video of him doing his thing, and uh, like normally at a at a comedy show, if I'm just at a comedy show, I don't care who I'm following in general, and I didn't care about this either. But I definitely, uh, I was like, oh wow, the people are reacting to this very specific, different physical thing. Uh, so I was like, oh well, I guess now it's me talking, like doing the opposite of a very specific physical thing. Right? How do you follow that? Uh, I tried by you know sort of easing. Uh, by by riffing about it a little right. bit, right? As is your want. Yeah, and it, it was, uh, but it, that day was not my need, mm. um, nor the audiences. So right. yeah, it's uh, a thing that happened, and I was like, probably it. You know, in hindsight, like I could have not mentioned it at all, just been like, well, here I am to tell jokes. Here are my jokes, and who knows exactly what would have happened? Right. Nobody. Uh, but yeah, so that was that was a situation where the last thing that happened before me did affect the thing that I did. And often it does. And often it does in a positive way. Because I do like, you know, if if a room full of people has an experience, then you know that that's a reference point that you all share. You know, some people might not have the same cultural or like pop culture, you know, movie references. But if you're in the room, you probably saw what just happened. And then also ensures that you're in the moment, which is which is something that most comedians strive for is to have an experience that's in the moment instead of just your act that you do night after night on the road. I feel it's, it's interesting. I, I wonder how many, like if there, if it, there could be like a survey of comedians, you know, at various points in their career and ages and things and like, to, because some comedians, like we have a friend, Eric Charles Nielsen, you know, Eric. Yes. And I said that Eric definitely doesn't strive to be finding things in the moment. The Au way, contraire. Yeah. He, like, he would, I would say that Eric uh, wouldn't mind the, cat, the sort of characterization of being like a symphony. Like, you know, the symphony, the performers at a symphony, maybe they're trying to, you know, 
be present in each note, but clearly they're playing the notes that were pre-written, the way that Eric constructs his act and then shares it like a like a play, like a you know, a performance of a written piece. And I've asked him, like, what if you what if something happened? Like obviously like if somebody heckles, he will say something. He won't ignore things. If there's a lot of noise, he might address it. And he's not bad at doing those. Like he's a very funny person. But there, I asked him once, like, what if you thought of the perfect thing to say in the moment and you'd never said it before? He says, I might, I might say it, but, uh, but is this okay? Is that an okay voice? Yeah. yeah. Keep going. Sounds kind of like him. Doesn't sound like Eric, but it's a totally Damn fine it. voice. Doesn't sound like you. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's all I want. <laughs> Not to be me right now. Uh, so I'll say it as me. He said, I'm, I might say it in the moment if I thought mm-hmm. of it, but I also might just remember it and then go home, write it down, and then have it be part of oh, the prepared the stuff for act. next time. Mm-hmm. So my, I guess my question, I'm really curious to know, like there definitely are people like Eric. I think that, you know, for me and Zach uh, and a lot of people that we know, we do like, we are like the way that you said that it's, we have a, an act prepared, but if we got out there and something happened and we started riffing and we were able to keep riffing and entertaining the crowd without ever getting to the act, like that is a, you know, a magical, beautiful uh, experience that is real fun to have, but maybe not everybody feels that way. Eric doesn't. Well, it's, it's like the, the Upper Citizen Brigade, when they, when they talk about improv, they say that they want to make it seem so, so seamless that, that you thought it was written. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. a sense that, and and I know people who have never seen Santa before. They 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 want to think, oh, I can't believe he he came up with all that stuff, or, mm. or she said that very funny thing, even if it's been in your act for years and years. This this is interesting territory. I have a few things to say. One, uh, I think um, that's the goal. So for a stand-up, so seamless that you'd think it was written. You want your stand-up to seem conversational and not. You know, you want to avoid the appearance of I've said this. You want to avoid too much of the experience uh, of the appearance of I've said this a million times. It sounds before. like he's just talking. Right. It right. sounds like he's just talking. It's... And also, though, I think what Mike is saying is that at the you know I'll, at the beginning or if something happens during the show, you want to say something that specifically informs the audience that I have been at this particular show with you guys, and I want to tell you something funny about that that I'm better at noticing than you, but that confirms that. This is real, and I'm here, and right. I'm doing it. So I'm th- not on a screen. I'm in front of you. Right. Yeah. For sure. I'm not I just am running sharing a an script. experience. I mm-hmm. am one of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am you. Yeah. That's why I love comedians. Per- they're just like us, <laughs> except funnier. <laughs> um, they're just like us, and that's why I'm gonna try it because I can make my friends laugh at work. <laughs> oh goodness. Um, and that's why I when- like you. You were about to say something nice about me. No, I was about to say something nice about Zach. No, Zach was really Zach. no. Okay, fine. <laughs> When when I first saw you, mm-hmm. you were performing under a moniker, a nom de mm-hmm. rap. Yep, MC Mister Napkins. Yes, and I was I was a little reluctant, mm-hmm. hesitant. Yeah, because the mid the mid aughts saw so many white comedy yes. rappers. Yeah, they may still be out there. They are the Lonely Island, but they were they were for the most part ironic. Mm-hmm. Rap. They were the the comedy came from oh I'm white and I'm rapping. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Whereas and then you came on stage and you were very serious about the rap and but the lyrics had such foundation to them. Thanks, man. How? Tell me about about the process of you trying to break out from from that. Pack. Love to talk about it. Um, well, so that that name 
I chose before I had any thoughts of getting into comedy. That was the your, rapping. your serious rap name. It was tongue in cheek. I understand that you're making a joke right now. <laughs> uh, it was tongue in cheek, mm-hmm. but I was like, this is, you know, my, I had rap names almost immediately when I started giving myself rap names. And then my friends sometimes would, you know, like I went through a progression of them. Z Styles was first. Mm. Zach the Ripper was a thing for a little bit. You know, I mean, I knew even before I knew, I kind of like stumbled into knowing that I couldn't just be like, you know, whatever hard ass sounding, you know, like I wasn't going to actually choose some rap name that a was real like, I'm serious such a badass. badass. Zach, like, Zach with three K's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, right. I didn't choose that name. Um, you know how there are all those rappers out there with the most serious rap names like Lil Wayne. <laughs> yeah. Or they're also, I mean, yeah. So <laughs> heavy D. Um, but so, yeah, so then the, I, ch- I chose that name when I was 19 and okay. then started doing comedy rap when I was like 26 for real. So there were like seven years where that was what I thought my name was. And then I think it did. I think it was a source of some reluctance from some people when I would introduce myself in that way. And it would get a laugh for being a goofy thing. But it was weird because it was getting those laughs. But that's not what it was built to do. It just wound up I could I could reverse engineer it into being a funny thing that I said on stage up top. So some people I think were reluctant and and off put. Um, other people, when I told them that I was gonna stop using the name, mm-hmm. said they, why they loved it. I love that name. It's distinctive. It's you. It's I get why you chose it. It makes sense. It's, I associate it with you. But in the end, it was I, I uh, two years ago or so, two and a half years ago, I got rid of the name officially with a video on my old YouTube channel. Right and. I'm very, I mean, it is a no regrets decision. I appreciate when people say, I don't like when people say, you know, I'm kind of glad you did. I'm sort of like, oh, all right. <laughs> right like, who cares? Uh, and, I, and when people say, oh, man, you're not doing that anymore. I always liked it. Then I feel like, oh, that's thanks for being a supporter. But, but it's you, for me. I you, mean. you can still know it, that it, it was. Mm-hmm. It exists online. You, like, you have the information. You, like, you've, get, you've lost nothing. Yes. Like knowing that you don't say to people, "Hello, I am MC Mr. Napkins." Like it's weird if that makes you the saddest forever. But can I make an analogy? Yeah. What it's it, what it sounds like it was like is sometimes a comedian will go on stage wearing clearly like a silly looking outfit and then they will say, "Can you believe that I wore this?" Right. And they'll get a laugh, but then some people, the people who are like but that's also actually what you're wearing. You chose to wear that. You chose that, like, mm-hmm. like if you're making fun, if it is it for us to laugh? Are we laugh? Who are we laughing with or at? Mm-hmm. And like some people, I mean, but ultimately, like names are silly, and who cares? And you know, you can have which I've actually, and I've thought about the same thing with the name that I chose right. uh, as a teenager, and the idea. That I'm sure there are people. There are definitely people who are put off by it, and when I talk about giving it up. Uh, just being like, yeah, Mike, Mike, regular is fine. Right. There's some people that are like, but no, you like letters and words. It definitely, why, why would you? <laughs> I'm like, wow, I like your voice. <laughs> uh, that's like another version of that. <laughs> uh, oh, silly voice. No, well, yeah. did Facebook kind of force your hand a little bit on that? Because I know you you have multiple Facebook presences, and one of them is Mike MYQ, and the other is Mike regular. Uh, I originally just had... MYQ as like my I only had a personal page not a fan page mm-hmm. and then when I got a fan page uh, I decided to differentiate the two and have people if they wanted to find my comedy I was like just go to the 
page where it's spelled like this, and then for my personal page, I had it. I mean, anybody can find either page pretty much. Right. I'm not trying to hide things. No. And I, like, I mean, mostly I just don't care. Mostly what I, who I am is who I am. Like that we've been another thing that we talk, we've Zach and I've been talking about recently is the idea of like, you know, the finger pointing at the moon. Uh, you know, like the moon is the moon, and you know, I am the moon, and like the name is the finger pointing at the moon, and it doesn't matter which finger it is or where it's coming from. Like the moon's the moon, mm-hmm. you know. And if people are like, but wait, your finger looks weird. You're pointing it in a weird direction. Do you have nail polish on that finger? Like, you're missing the point. I'm the moon. <laughs> the point. Well, I only asked because <laughs> Facebook had made a, or people made a deal about Facebook changing its policy on names, mm. wanting people to use their real names. Uh, yeah, I, I was not affected names. by that real, I, I think okay. my thing had already happened. Yeah. So what's what's the last great bit of advice you've received? Ooh, great question. Oh, last. Thanks. I got yes. it. Oh, the theme just became clear to me of many of the questions <laughs> we've been asked. Zach, I'll give you some advice. Can I say one last thing about the name change? Sure. This is just a quick story that I like to tell about this. As long as it's one last thing. Uh, I wrote, yeah. All right. Uh, I pointed out a thing that you didn't intend. No, I did intend it. Zach didn't know it, and I did. Uh, um, I'm really happy with the song that I wrote about the decision to change the name. And finding your true self in Zach Sherwin. Yeah. Um, Yes. Your uh, your inner Zach Sherwin is now your outer Zach Sherwin. Zach Sherwinner. Yeah. That's like something we talked about before where you have to go away from it to come back and be good. Oh, rapping itself. Okay, so. Let's wrap this up. Nice. So I wrote the song. I was really happy with it. I felt like it said all I needed to say, mm-hmm. and I liked the song itself. I was really pleased. And so for a little bit, it wasn't funny, but I, I would perform it out at shows. I'd be like, you guys, I used to have this name. Now I wrote this rap about my decision to change it. You know, indulge me. Here's the rap. Because I, I wanted to get it on its feet and feel it out. Sure. So I performed it one time. And an old friend of mine from college was at the show in San Francisco, and I performed the song, and I was like, man, I nailed that song. It says everything I want to say. So then after the show, I meet up with my buddy outside the club, and I was like, hey, man. And he's like, hey, changing the name. And I go, yeah. And he goes, how come? And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) How can you know that I'm changing my name but not know how come? I only listened to the the first line of the song. Yeah. Like, um, sounds boring. I'll talk to you. I only listened to the part where they thanked you for being on stage. And they said <laughs> your name and not your other name. Yeah, wait a second. Yeah, why'd they do that? <laughs> That's weird. Uh, why, why, they, why they do that? Mm. Last great piece of advice. Yeah. Mm. Um, huh. Yeah. I, I'll, tell, I'll talk about advice that, I don't know, this is, this is not necessarily advice that I got. Okay. But it's advice that I have. And that I was discussing with, I was I was discussing I was emailing with uh, my grad school advisor, who I think is a really great teacher and like who had provided me like really memorable learning experiences that I've taken outside the classroom that have nothing to do with the subject that was being taught, but like about you know being a human and like learning and teaching and how to uh, just interact with people. And the one specific thing is the thing that Zach and I have talked about also, uh, which we admired first in our friend Micah, who Micah Sherman, who when he doesn't know something, he'll be like, uh, I don't know that. Can you explain that? Like, whereas so many people uh, won't do that. You know, if you're like, oh, even it, like they'll pretend that they've seen a movie just so they don't have to, you sure. know, be, you know, socially awkward they in will, their mind. They will feign ignorance or feign uh, knowledge yeah. more yeah. often. Yeah, 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 of course, of course. Uh, and like my teacher said, like she actually trains other like teachers to 
draw things out of students because I was saying that she did that also. Like, whereas some teachers would. She's a surgeon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she would. When I would, I remember a time in class when I said something that was like maybe a half formulated idea where other classes teachers would be like, okay, okay, I see. And like, and then spin it into like, and now let me talk about this. But the teacher, this teacher was like, I don't really understand what you just said. God, I loved when teachers did that. Can you <laughs> explain? And she like really wasn't trying to shame anybody. She was like, I don't understand everything. And she said to me in this conversation, she's like, I feel like 50% of the time, whether talking to like a kindergartner or a grad student, I don't know what they mean. So I she's like, for some, I think everybody, it's like 25% at least. 25% of the time, you don't know what somebody means exactly. And so just the advice is use the use a sentence like, say more. Can you can you say more? Hmm. Uh, or like I I like what you're I get I like it, but I want to. Can we just can you dial it in a little further? Can mm -hmm. you give me more specifics? And like hopefully, uh, they can. Like sometimes I'll be talking to somebody and I'll be like I don't think they know what they're talking about, but then I'll ask a I'll ask the question for more clarification, and then they'll say one thing and it'll snap into place. I'm like oh yeah, I just didn't see what you meant, and now I do. I'm glad and, I asked. And, oh yeah, and it honestly like the time that she said it to me. Uh, she was like, I don't understand that. And I was like, oh, it's because I kind of made it up. And I <laughs> didn't want you to know that I didn't know the thing that we were talking about. Hmm. And it's such a valuable uh, piece of, like, it's, it's such a, it take, it's another, like, Rumpelstiltskin-y kind of thing where it gives you the power to, because if you don't know something, then you can be, and you don't want to be found out about it. It's all about being like, I want to seem like I know it, but you don't know it. So saying that you don't know it, like it cuts the legs out of anybody who tries to, you know, m get the best of you or make it seem otherwise. Just like right. you can, it serves it serves people well in comedy, in teaching, in sort of social situations, in in anything. Just like if you don't know, why not say that you don't know? Rumpelstiltskin hmm. and Socrates and Confucius. I think nice. they were into that too. And Zach, any any advice that uh, you've been given recently that's yeah, I mean, we've been talking about Mike and I have been talking recently about the uh, you know the wisdom of trying to say trying to have your basic orientation towards life be thank you instead of please. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's good. Um, just it being a much more comfortable way to go through things. Uh, difficult to live up to all the time, but just sort of a good thing to remind yourself. Kind of like when you, if you have, if you ever done any meditating, they're like, I have. You're gonna, your mind's gonna wander because you're a person. But as soon as you are aware that it that it wandered, just bring it back and then stay in as long as you can, and then it'll probably go away again. Just keep bringing it back whenever you remember that you didn't. And that's how I feel about that. You know, just uh, sometimes I'll be like, oh, I'm nervous about this thing. I want it to go right. It's, it's like two weeks. I'm gonna be freaked out the whole time between now and then. Like, oh, or just super worried about stuff right. and. As much as you can. TYOP. Scale that back. TYOP, baby. Thank Hashtag you. TYOP. And uh, can, may I add a last thing sure. about that point? Yes. Like with the America's Got Talent situation not going exactly the way that I wanted it to, like I, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. And I have a few, you know, like there's one really good set online right. of me doing everything that I wanted to, them editing it really well, me interacting with Howard Stern and the other judges them and Neil Patrick nice Harris. Yeah, yeah, everyone. It was super, and it's, I g gained a lot of fans out of that. Uh, and even the set that didn't go exactly as I wanted it to or would have wanted it to, right. like people still, a lot of people liked it. And, you know, there are people coming out to shows for it. And so it for a little while, it was, you know, it didn't make me feel the greatest to think about it. But now, like anything, 
uh, you know, sort of the pain, the disappointment, the bummer is more in the past. Because, uh, you know, it ultimately doesn't matter. Like, my life is in general, like, I'm doing things that I want to do and I'm going to. And maybe more people would have come to shows. Maybe those would have been people expecting TV clean material, and that would have caused more problems or different problems. And so whatever whatever could have happened, the thing that's helpful to me uh, to make me grateful for what I have is a little character, I, I imagine, uh, which is the guy who is upset that everything is like, but... I wanted everything to go exactly the way I want 100% of the time, not just most of the time everything's pretty good and I have a good attitude about it. I want everything to be perfect. That uh, didn't sound like Eric Charles needs something <laughs> Thank you. That was so, supposed to. But yes, that's uh, and that, you know, I, I say all those things and make it as ridiculous as possible and uh, laugh at the, the version of myself that that could be but isn't. So if tragedy plus time equals comedy, would, Speed up the time. would it also uh, be equally true or untrue that uh, resentment plus meditation equals gratitude? Uh, I like it. I like it, too. You, uh, Say more. <laughs> <laughs> well, your, 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 your initial response was resentment that you didn't get something, but if you mm -hmm. can meditate on it, you can let go of the resentment and instead welcome in gratitude. I would say resentment plus remembering, maybe instead of meditation. Sure. The meditation helps you remember. It's a very fine hair I'm splitting here. Yeah. But yeah, hey, that works for me. Real nice hair. Very fine hair. Very fine hair. <laughs> I haven't. Are we talking? Can, can I say you can speak freely. one sentence? Please All right, speak freely. May I? Thank you. Um, we'll edit this in post. <laughs> we'll edit this in pre for last mm. things first. Ooh. Okay, go ahead. Here's my other piece of advice. Yes. It's one I've been giving to myself. Okay. I used to write rap lyrics to an internal metronome. Like, okay. just I would just sort of pick a rhythm and go for it in my head. Now I write in advance with a beat that I'm listening to in my ears when I'm doing it. And for me, now at this stage of my creative development, that is absolutely the way to go. So I would say to any lyric writers out there, have the music there first. Well, what That's would my you, latest advice. Well, what would you myself. say to any... Any newcomer to comedy who comes up to you and says, Metronome, in the head. Here's how the joke goes. Here's the punchline. Okay, <laughs> need another line. Mike, uh, yeah. go ahead, But Mike. what would your advice be to any any newcomer to comedy? I mean, and there are so many of them in 2015. Hmm. Uh, I mean, the the only advice that ever is important, uh, like the, the big basics are write as much as possible, perform as much as possible, and also live as much as possible. Those are the the main things I would say, and then sort of other p particulars uh, that if you want could be helpful. Uh, live a place where you can perform as much as possible and see as much as possible and live as much as possible. Like if you're not in a city that has a comedy club, maybe move to near one or, you know, be somewhere, be, be willing to drive a lot. Like you have to be near comedy uh, to learn about comedy. You can't just make it in the town you're in. You could, but I mean, I think like, you know, I think I like, it's not important necessarily for a town to have a comedy club, but it's probably uh, numbers wise, like, I think you'll get better faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unless you want to be a person who opens a comedy club. Yeah. If you, if you do, you should move to a town without a comedy club. Oh yeah. But if you want to be a person who performs at the comedy club, you don't have to build a comedy club. That's correct. And do you have any, Zach, any different advice for people? Or, I think or, I would, or usually your, your questions are probably more musically inclined anyhow, right? Or no? Uh, no. Zach I mean, knows about comedy. I just but the a, people who ask you questions, are they 
more general comedy questions or more specifically? You're the, per- um, you're the person asking yeah. the question. <laughs> you, you choose. I do, have a, I do have a really nice Twitter fan who just hit me up and was like, I'm willing to do anything to become a rapper as my career. What's your advice? And I wrote back to him, and I was like, write and perform or record raps. And he wrote back and was like, but I don't know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> What did you have in mind that you were gonna do? That's, uh, that's where you need the metronome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, count to four over and over again. <laughs> um, I think it's just to refer. I, I agree with Mike's advice and think that it's important to just do things. Um, yes. I spent a lot of time for many years just writing to internal metronomes and had a bunch of. I have a bunch of raps that I've never done anything with, and now mm-hmm. I'm trying to write. Part of writing with beats is it's much more project focused. Mm-hmm. Like, let's get this song out. Let's have this be a thing instead of just let's let's free write and see what happens that that can work at some points too but i'm I'm more now into making a thing that can then be presented as a video or a song or being hired to write a friend's project that makes me feel i get more juice out of being creative by writing a rap for a friend's kickstarter Mm -hmm. thank you reward thing um as a just a happenstance yes uh just a just a random example right i I wrote Not, not an epic rap battle I love writing epic rap battles. Yeah. It, like you could say, I, during that time that I wrote my friend's Kickstarter rap, I could have, you know, I could have spent that time just noodling on my own lyrics, mm-hmm. you know. For, but I, I'd rather do a directed thing and like apply the, you know, focus the uh, the energy on it. But sometimes you want to, like, you like your friend, and so you like that project, and you like, you know, doing work mm-hmm. for money. Uh, but sometimes you would rather work on your own thing than somebody else's thing. True or false? True, but I do get a lot of juice out of being assigned something and executing it. I don't know if that's advice that's general enough to Ass- apply to everybody, but I like being hired and then delivering. You don't like assigning yourself stuff as much as somebody else assigning you a thing. I wish that I could pull it together sometimes when I assign myself stuff as well as I do when there's expectations and consequences and deadlines for, that are external to me. Well, give th- me some money and I'll <laughs> hire you to do stuff. No, I, what, I, what I really want to say is thank you both for being my friend and accepting my assignment to be here as guests on my podcast. Oh, yeah. Thank, thank you really for being it. our friend and for inviting us. Thank you. Any last words? Over, please. <laughs> Thank you. Over, please. <laughs> last this episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave. Logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com. For more interviews, reviews, and comedy news, become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.